Travis and Chantil Gill say they suck at traveling around the world because they've been on the road for over three years, yet their list of things to see and places to go hasn't shrunk at all, like you would expect after three years. In fact, it's growing and it slows them down. So the longer they're out, the slower they go. So far, they've managed to explore Europe and just touched Africa. They've learned a lot over the three years. You can hear it in what they say about motorcycle travel, what it takes to do it. Today, we're talking about their bikes, their gear, breakdowns, a cranky old wilder that refused to help until more helpful people and, well, there's a lot more. I'm Jim Martin. This is Adventure Rider Radio. Stay with us. We got a good one for you. I'm Sam Manicum. Ted Simon. Austin Vance. Simon Pavey. Bill Bergoon. Helen Gepardo. Jocelyn Snow. Charlie Bowman. Simon Thomas. Lisa Thomas. Grant Johnson. Glenn Jarvis. Quentin Smith. And you're listening to Adventure Rider Radio. And Green Chili Adventure Gear offers American-made, heavy-duty luggage systems for all types of motorcycles. You can turn any dry bag into luggage using their strapping system. And, of course, Green Chili Adventure Gear is tested in extreme weather and terrain to withstand the abuse that adventure riding gives it. Tough, reliable gear. GreenChiliADV.com. Best Rest Product is the maker of the Cycle Pump, the best tire inflator for motorcyclists. It'll inflate your flat tire in less than three minutes. Made in the USA. Comes with a lifetime warranty. They also distribute Google Tech filters. CyclePump.com. It's wind pressure that powers the MotoBreeze chain oiler. No electrical or vacuum connections. It delivers the oil to a felt pad on your swing arm. No nozzles near your sprockets. One ounce of oil gets 1,000 miles or 1,600 kilometers. Get more miles from your chain and sprockets. MotoBreeze.com. Hi, we're Travis and Chantel, and we suck at going around the world on our motorbike. <laughs> <laughs> We've been out of three years, and we're still in Europe. <laughs> yeah, yeah, still stuck in Europe, as our, as our friends told us. <laughs> Did you say you suck at traveling around the world or you're yes, stuck at traveling around the world? We suck at it. We you haven't suck. made it around the world yet. <laughs> <laughs> because you have a certain time limit that you have to do this in. I mean, how long have you been working at it now? Uh, three years and three months. Yeah. Three years. Three years. What's the What's the trouble here? Like, you know, why can't you find yourself? Like, why can't you get going? Why haven't you been around the world yet? <laughs> There's so many cool Europe. things to see. Yeah, Europe is just. Uh, our friends, uh, our friends told us uh, recently that we're stuck in a tractor beam in Europe. Europe's got us in a tractor beam. <laughs> <laughs> you, you are where right now? We are currently in uh, Hungary. We just crossed the border this uh, morning from uh, Romania. Mm, very nice. So the, the border crossings are, I guess, you know, pretty common for you. But at this point. Uh, Europe is special, I think, in a sense, because uh, you've got uh, the Schengen zone, which is so big. So there's really no border crossings on through Schengen countries. But um, yeah, we've crossed quite a lot of borders. I think we have because of the Schengen, 30, because you have to get out every ninety what ninety days. Yeah, yeah, so I think we have about thirty five, forty stamps in our mm. just in Europe alone in our passports. And just as a bit of a recap, you guys, I think you left in 
originally 2017, I think, and then you worked in Germany for a couple of years. Or Travis, you you had a a job in Germany. I think that's how it went. Is that, is that it? Yeah, yeah. So, but when we arrived in Germany, we just showed up on uh, our two motorbikes as we uh, traveled across uh, North America and Canada from San Diego, then shipped them to Iceland, and then uh, from Iceland we hopped on ferries and scheduled ferries and whatever to get wherever we needed in Europe. And you stayed on the road during COVID. Where did you hold up for that? Uh, we thought we could escape COVID just going south to uh, Spain, but uh, it became a worldwide pandemic and we ended up being, uh, I mean, stuck is probably not the correct word, but uh, we spent three months in, uh, in southern Spain. It's lovely. <laughs> mm. Yeah, I heard about COVID being a worldwide thing. <laughs> <laughs> and, and now since then, where have you been? Oh, like just, uh, just, if you look at our track, it's just drunkardly back and forth all around Europe. (laughs) As you explore. So what, what draws you from one point to another? Um, we travel, what do you think? How do we travel? We travel by destinations. Yeah. So, um, how we, how we basically do our traveling is, uh, we have a Google maps. We just keep a, a virtual Google maps and, We've been putting little points on this thing probably for the past seven, eight years, yeah. little destination markers. And then as soon as we get into a new country or we look at where we need to, oh, we want to go see this, this, and this place. Then we basically just plot a route between them and then try to connect the dots. We try to do that obviously with uh, the season. We don't want to be connecting dots in Norway in uh, November, December in our, <laughs> on our motorbikes. Or we don't want to be connecting dots in uh, Morocco in July or August. So that's the key. We just try to do our best to uh, avoid the, the worst of the weather, trying to find the ideal, what, 75 degrees, wherever we can, yep. and then uh, connect the dots. A lot of times when you hear people talk about traveling around the world by motorcycle, money's an issue and it seems that Europe and money don't do well together. <laughs> Europe tends to draw, draw a lot of money in. And, and I often hear people say they don't stay very long in Europe, but do you guys well, are managing to do that? Yeah, I think we're fortunate. I mean, uh, between uh, a pension and uh, we, a lot of savings, we saved quite a long time for this, <clears throat> for this adventure. I mean, to be honest in Europe, we are on a, I think that there are four stages of hemorrhaging that uh, you're bleeding out. We're, we're definitely on a stage one hemorrhage. <laughs> you're talking money wise here. <laughs> it's not, uh, it's not uh, maintainable for us forever, no. but our hope is that, so our, our, our savings account is depleting, but then our hope is that as we continue, um, it's going to get less expensive. Mm-hmm. I think it will. Yeah. The other continents tend to be a lot less expensive from other travelers we've talked to. Is it less expensive now where you are as you're in Eastern Europe than the rest of the places you've been into? Um, th- just slightly though, but anything that's probably brought into Schengen have, they've increased their prices. So it's not, it's not too much cheaper, but it is somewhat cheaper. And you just want to be thorough and make sure you get all those little points that you put in that you want to see before you head off anywhere else. Yeah, that's part of the problem, right? Because we... <laughs> Uh, and, and some of that is Morocco. We've always wanted to see the country of Morocco. So, um, we've actually backtracked through Europe so we can make that happen or we want to spend time. We want to get up to North Cape. So, yeah. So right now we're currently kind of doing that through, through the Baltic area. So we, we've, 
we haven't been able to really see all the little dots that we've that we wanted to connect up through the, the northeast of Europe. Um, a lot of that is due to the current situation between Ukraine, Ukraine and Russia. Um, but um, we're going to we're going to head up into that region this summer and connect those dots. Mm, so you're not leaving anytime soon. At least not for the summer, because that's the only thing we have planned out. <laughs> yeah, I think I think after this season, we'll have Europe uh, pretty tapped out. Yeah. You'd be bored, I guess, sick of it at well, that point. I mean, you could spend your whole life in Europe, but <laughs> some people do. I've heard that. Yeah, I mean, this <laughs> <laughs> is true. Yes, you Sorry, can really, I couldn't resist. <laughs> that's, that's fair, absolutely. But uh, I mean, we obviously want to broaden our, uh, our horizons and go see uh, go see other countries. I mean, Africa sounds enticing. It's Asia. Um, South America, South America, Australia, New Zealand. Yeah. All those sound really, I mean, we'd even love to spend more time in North America, something we haven't, we haven't really ridden our motorbikes in North America much either. Mm-hmm. You mentioned Morocco. You had some trouble getting there. Oh, so much trouble. Well, <laughs> partly, I almost gave up. Yeah. You did give up. Santa <laughs> gave up on Morocco. It was always in the back of my head as something, something I always wanted to experience. So um, I think we both wanted to experience it, right? Yeah, we did. Yeah. And I, uh, for people, I think p- for people in Europe, Morocco is the Mexico or the Baja of uh, for them, right? It's not that far, but it's a whole different culture, culture, world. And climate, and a whole different, whole different world. How how so? Talk talk about Morocco. Well, because it's uh, it's only a ferry ride away from Spain, and uh, Europeans actually call it. Uh, the closest yet furthest country away because you take that ferry and then you're all of a sudden in a completely different world. Like everything, everything about Spain now has changed. Uh, the religion is no longer predominantly Christian or Catholic. It's, uh, it's, um, Islam. Right. And, um, that, that directs or defines a lot of the culture and the people. The climate is completely different. Um, especially in, uh, the southern part of Morocco, where it's all desert. Now you're now you're in the Sahara. Europe really doesn't have any desert per se, not like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, a whole new culture. It's it's much less expensive for a lot of things. Accommodations are a whole much less expensive. It's just a whole different whole different environment for people. I feel like for us that was we had a similar experience when we went into uh, Baja for the first time. Like, Baja was a completely different experience than anything we've, we've had before. So I feel it's a similar, similar sense for Europeans. You mentioned about having trouble. What was the trouble? Uh, it was the first trouble. The first trouble Shantel can talk well, of about. Of course, it was Shang, I mean, sorry, um, COVID stopped us, right? They closed yeah. down the borders for that. And then, um, so we went a different direction and went to the Balkans. And then when we came back, uh, after we went home for that Christmas vacation, the last time we talked, we tried to get into Morocco again, but the ferries were still closed down for COVID. Yeah. So they were Look promising. Two years, I'd say over, over yeah. two years, these ferries were shut down. So yeah. People weren't freely traveling between Spain and Morocco. So they had given us some hope, like the ferry will be open on this day. So we booked our ticket and we got to that date and they said, no, we're canceling. And so then this, this happened three times when we were in Spain waiting for, um, to go from France to Morocco. Yeah. And then finally I said, Travis, we can't wait anymore. Let's just go down um, to Corsica and to Sardinia and see what happens that way. Um, so then we just took off and went that way. 
And then after we made another loop around Europe, <laughs> um, Travis was like, let's just try Morocco one more time. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, that's crossing all of Europe to get there. So that's, that's the thing. Yeah. And I guess each time you booked a, t- a ticket, you're, you're building everything up to that date, waiting there, and then yeah. being canceled at the last minute. Yeah. 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 It could be pretty frustrating. I mean, we got all our money back and all that. You didn't lose anything, but still. Yeah, it's your time, though. I mean, it's the time, yeah. the idea that you're planning everything around this departure and then it doesn't happen. You know, that uh, that could certainly be frustrating, but I guess, you know, that's that's all part of your, your travel. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. I, I would, people that are traveling or want to do something like we do, um, my first, our first advice would be uh, be flexible because you're, your travel is not going to go how you expect it will be. There's going to be changes for sure. Mm. And that's something that you didn't really, that wasn't your way of doing things at the start, was it? Uh, I mean, I mean, yeah. have you always been flexible? I mean, I, I think I remember no, you saying I'm that. Probably, you, yeah, I'm probably not as flexible or patient when it right. comes to those things. But, but yeah, didn't so, you say you, you sort of lay things out and you expect it to kind of go that way? <laughs> yeah, you got a good memory. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. We do. Uh, we prefer... I prefer things to kind of go my way. <laughs> right. But sometimes it doesn't. And you just have to kind of accept that, especially motorcycle overlanding. You know, one thing that I want to talk to you guys about was just how difficult it, it actually is for motorcycle travel, you know, at least in your experience so far. Now, I know you guys, you want to, you want to cross North America. You, you went over to Europe. You've been traveling around in Europe. How difficult is it? I mean, if, if you went to a Horizons Unlimited meet, for instance, I think for people who haven't been traveling, haven't actually done something like this, and they're going there to learn about it, and they're going to talk to people who have done it, I think that the sense that people have is it's difficult because that's why they're there. They, they want to find out what, what do you have to do and, and what do I have to be worried about and how do I prepare? And I'm curious, how difficult is it for you guys? Well, it depends on your attitude. If you have an attitude that's going to be like you're looking at the world in a positive way, if you're looking at um, each situation that comes in your way that you can solve it and you can move on, then I think traveling around the world is a lot easier for those people. If you have a very strict and upset, angry attitude, then I think it's going to be very devastating for a a person that was like with that type of personality. Mm. So there is a certain level of difficulty then? I mean, obviously you're saying there's a mindset that you need to be able to handle yes, that. That's I'm al- true. I'm also reluctant to say that too, though, because the reality is, I mean, literally it's just getting on your motorbike and riding miles down the road. And then day after day, riding those miles before you know it, you've got 80,000 miles under your belt, right? Mm. And then three years. So is it difficult in a sense? I think the difficulty comes about when you're putting different situations like obviously on a motorbike you're you're subject to the elements so even even yesterday we saw a thunderstorm come in we're like mm, this isn't good i don't want to ride through this thunderstorm so we ended up finding a little place and pulling over and setting up our tent before the thunderstorm came and then hunkered down while the while the rain rolled over us for the next three hours in our tent yeah. and then uh, the next morning we got up and put our tent away kind of wet and then moved on so and, and is that a, is that a hardship? I mean, you know, is that something that's not just, really that comfortable? I think to some people it would be, I mean, I, I prefer much, I'd prefer to pull into a hotel and be able to hotel it every With night. Wi-Fi but, and but then, fresh showers and right. whatever. Right? But then you're also talking about like the, the cost, right? It's difficult to do that on a budget. 
that's not going to be depleted too quickly. If you want to continue traveling, um, you kind of have to make that decision to say, all right, we're going to save some money by, by um, camping under less favorable conditions or finding a place to camp and being told uh, right after we set up our tent right before dark that, hey, we have to move on because we're not allowed to camp there or mm-hmm. things like that. Yeah, so, so you, I mean, those, those are probably the hardship things that happen, but are those that difficult? Not yeah. really. And then we talk about maybe the material condition of the motorbikes. Like ultimately, sometimes those can be a pain, but the reality is at the end of it, you have a story to tell and it always typically works out. And I guess you probably don't interview many people that have uh, died in the middle of the desert somewhere because their bike broke down, but maybe that's because they're dead. <laughs> I was going to say, we haven't interviewed any dead people now that I think about it at all. Right. So it's... But the reality, most of us have, have run into hardship and uh, we overcame it and it was just fine. It wasn't the end of it. I think ultimately, if you find out that you're not having fun anymore, then you need to find something else to do. Well, not having fun can certainly happen if things wear on you after a while. I mean, you know, if you, yeah. for instance, if you take a short vacation and, and the weather's really lousy every day, by the, by the time you're done, it's like, I'm ready to go home. I've had enough, you know, like the, the weather's been horrible. It didn't, didn't turn out like I planned. So when I think of you guys hunkering down in your tent, because you don't want to spend the money on your, on, on a hotel, obviously, because that's part of your, your way of travel. It's the reason you're able to do what you're doing. So you're in a way you're kind of forced to by your own, by your own methods, your own thought process, you're forced to stay in the tent, deal with that, that uh, storm that comes through. Does that wear on you after a while? Or is it the opposite? Do you get used to it? I think you get used to it, but also, um, I don't know. I love camping. So it, it's, it was my joy last night. <laughs> he likes to be in the hotels. I like to be camping. So, um, yeah, so it's, a, it's a, like a win-win for both of us. <laughs> so there's a split there. I, I didn't realize that it's, Travis yeah. is not a camper or, or it's not his main thing. No. He, well, he will camp I, and he I, likes I it, but I, I love it. I don't prefer camping. Um, I like the cost of camping for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Wow, camping especially. But camping for me is more just being out there and just listening quietly to the noises that nature makes. Mm-hmm. So with, with camping, uh, it, most of the camping you're doing, is is it wild camping or you're mixing this up with camping wild and, and campgrounds? I mean, Europe has to be pretty tough to find all wild camping. It is. Europe is actually pretty tough to find wild camping. But um, I mean, you you do your best. And so we don't haven't been camping as much as we'd like. But also the campgrounds um, are different here than they are in Northern America. Um, so, but they are loud and I don't like doing them as much. I'd like yeah, the wild camp as we can. Group campgrounds are not my, yeah. my not my favorite thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I do like, I do like the isolation of a wild camp spot. We just, the last, just last month we traveled through Greece and the Greek islands and oh, there's some fantastic. incredibly memorable moments where we literally had the entire beachfront to ourselves just camping so oh, wow. those those moments definitely offset the uh, hunkering down under uh, under a bunch of trees to raid out a rainstorm i wouldn't say that's normal for sure mm-hmm. it's, a, the, it's a nice combination of beautiful wild isolation places and and uh sometimes just having to uh find a place to stay for the night and move on in the next morning and there's ferries that take you from one island to the next in the greek islands yeah yes, yeah. yeah yeah the greeks uh this is always a question people always want to know is like, what's your favorite country? It's hard <laughs> to say. Cause it's so, I think that's so dependent on you as a person and your own experiences, but 
the Greek islands is definitely makes Greece one of my favorite countries for sure. Mm. With the the pace that you guys are traveling at, uh, you're getting a lot better feel for the the places that you're going through because you you spent what three months in Italy, uh, I, I think three months in Morocco, was it? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's got to give you a pretty good feel, or do you? Do you feel like that that gives you a good insight to the country? Do you leave Morocco, for instance, after three months and feel like you know Morocco, or do you feel like there's so much more to learn? No, I feel after. Honestly, after about two and a half months of Morocco, I was like, all right, this is great. I'm ready to move on. You get to you get to know their customs enough that you know what to expect around every corner. And so then you're like, uh, everything's not as like, thrilling to you. Like walking down the Medina for the first time in Morocco is is like your mind doesn't ever shut down because you're just looking every direction. It's such a crazy feeling. But after three months of that, I mean, you, you know what to expect. So they're not as um, exhilarating as... As when you first get there? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was concerned about that too, leaving Morocco and going back to Europe. I was like, <laughs> oh, Europe's going to be so boring. But we didn't find that at all. <laughs> um, I think every, I think for us, whatever's over the horizon is exciting to us. Mm, something new coming up. That makes sense. Yeah. But Morocco, for those who don't know, is in the African continent. It's the top of Africa, the north part of Africa. You were on the Africa continent, African continent. Why not just head south? Great question. So, uh, <laughs> and this was something that weighed heavily on us, didn't it? Yeah, we almost went. We almost went south. Yeah, we made it pretty far south and we came across another overlander that was in his uh, Land Rover, right? Yep. And he was telling us all about, because um, he had recently gone all the way to Dakar. Um, so we're like, we could do this. This would be so much fun. Yeah. And then uh, we said, well, if we're going to Dakar, then we're obviously just uh, really no sense coming back north. We're going to continue along the uh, the west coast of Africa and then uh, head down to South Africa. <sighs> what stopped us? Yeah, what stopped us? That little um, spinning wheel on the trousers. Rocket. <laughs> yeah, the main the main um, drive shaft on my uh, G650 GS spun out. It's been a problem. Um, so wait a second. You, you said you you met somebody, another Overlander. Yeah. What, what did he have to do with it? going to take a quick break while I tell you about a few things. But when we come back, we've got a lot more interesting stuff to talk about, including sort of a mishap in Morocco. And well, stay with us. Well, here is a great destination and an incredible opportunity to attend the largest overlanding event on the planet. Overland Expo Mountain West is happening August 25th to 27th in Loveland, Colorado, at The Ranch. Three days packed with activities, presentations, a massive vendor exposition. You can camp all weekend. And for us riders, they've got all kinds of moto activities like the moto dinner. They've got an ADV skills area for classes on roadside repairs or changing tires in the field. This is all great stuff from people who do it all the time. They've got roundtable talks where you can hear stories from travelers who have already done many of the trips that you're thinking of doing. You can go for a day or you can go for the the weekend pass or you can get a moto weekend pass, which includes camping. So plan for an amazing weekend, August 25th to 27th, Loveland, Colorado at the ranch. You got to buy your tickets online. Best do it soon because this is wildly popular and there are limits. Overlandexpo.com is the website. Overland Expo Mountain West, August 25th to 27th. Anytime you're dealing with them, throw in there that you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. Overlandexpo.com. 
Well, I don't know about you, but I don't like a bunch of extras that do nothing. And that's one thing that I love about Giant Loop gear. Giant Loop builds their gear without any extra straps and buckles and all the extra things you see hanging off of many mod many modular packs nowadays. They overdo it with all the straps and buckles. What Giant Loop does is focus on the purpose of the luggage they're building. And then they build it incredibly durable and lightweight and make it so that it's customizable. It does the job. It does it well, and it does it without all the added extras on it. Go light, go fast, go far with Giant Loop. The website is giantloopmoto.com. Anytime you're talking with them, tell them you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. Giantloopmoto.com. What do you have to do with it? Uh, Mostly just kind of telling us all about it. So it's always been in the back of our mind to go and see more of Africa. Oh, I see. Um, so it was positive. He, he's, he's telling you. Yeah. Positive. Oh my gosh, it, was, it was all positive. Yeah. Oh, his, yeah. His experience was great. And we were like, oh, let's just go do it. Let's go do it. Um, but but then, th- there's part of it too. So there's a season for Africa. You don't want to necessarily be stuck in the wet season um, because that can be pretty miserable, especially in Western Africa. Um, so uh, in our case, the way we travel and we looked at basically a map and we looked at the, the seasonal weather, um, we kind of would have been stuck in the monsoon season uh, if we had continued that. Mm. So we ended up just sticking with our original plan to just see Morocco and then head back to Europe. Mm. There's the other thing too, like if we did head south through Africa, everything, all those little thoughts that we still had in Europe uh, would have been undiscovered. We would have mm. never been able to Come go back, back and see them all. And those are places like the Greek islands and Rome and Venice and... Um, Naples and Pompeii and all those places we still wanted to see Athens at that point we still hadn't seen a whole lot of the tourist sites I guess of Italy and and Greece don't you keep adding points all the time uh yes (laughs) it's gonna be difficult to get away from that one I can see that (laughs) yeah no you do to a sense so usually when we show up in a country we'll we'll do some research and we'll add points while in the country but we feel like once we've once we've spent like for Morocco, there's no other points in Morocco that we feel we need to go see. Mm. Um, is there others that might show up in the future? Maybe, but uh, we kind of once once we spend a month or two or three in a country, we kind of say, "All right, we've experienced it. The world is too uh, world is too big. We can't stay here. Let's move on." Right. I was going to tell you that we did have our first fender bender. Oh, that's right. You did. Yeah, in Morocco. Well, t- tell me, tell me about that. Um, we uh, we were. Um, coming down the, the city street and we saw the monkey for the first time. And I was like, yeah, it's there's right. the monkey. And I was like, I missed it. I'm so sad. It's on our YouTube channel. I actually posted a, like a little <laughs> video of it, of the whole experience. We were fortunately recording during that time because we saw the monkey. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. And so um, Travis saw an old lady and a, a gentleman getting ready to cross the street on the crosswalk. But I guess in Morocco, you don't really stop for them. They wait for a clearing to go. So Travis stopped for the lady. And um, I didn't see the lady until later. So I, I pushed on my brakes pretty hard. And then the car behind us um, pushed me, actually ran into the back of me and actually pushed me forward because I had the clutch engaged. So mm-hmm. it just pushed me forward and I came up next to Travis. So, um, yeah. And what happened? What, what sort of damage? Well, I ruined his um, bumper. I got, put a big... Di- Crashed in his broke, bumper. Broke out one of the lights. Yeah. And, uh, and, and nothing happened to my bike. Yeah. Because it had, it had the I pan- know. <laughs> because the rear pannier kind of absorbed it. Uh, 
metal panniers and they just went boink and pushed her forward. And yeah. unfortunately stayed upright because you had to clutch in. Yeah. Wow. Her, that's her that's way. And how fast do you think he hit you though? I don't, I don't know. I don't Five, know. Maybe yeah. seven miles an hour. Yeah. No, it wasn't very fast, but I did, I did put a hole in his bumper. So, Holy, so the, the BMW is a tough bike. <laughs> they, are, they are pretty tough. I'll give you that. Well, adventure bikes, I think in general, are, it's surprising what they can take, the, the amount of abuse they can take, being dropped on the ground, et cetera. But uh, so this, you're in Morocco and you get rear-ended. Well, what happens here as far as the accident goes? Well, nobody spoke um, English there. Um, so, so we were like, we don't know what if we need to switch um, information or not. And so I was actually a little bit in shock a little bit because I'm like, wait, I just got hit. And, um, and so Travis just got on my bike and he rode it to make sure everything was safe. But I guess the guy drove off before um, yeah. he got back. I get on the bike <laughs> to make sure it handles well, and there was no like noticeable issues. And then next thing you know, he's driving away. Yeah, it's like ah, serious. So what'd you do? Nothing you did do. We, yeah, he's point. gone. Like, fortunately, there was no damage to our bike. I mean, yeah, that, that is one of the things that when you're in a different country, you kind of have to follow their rules. So hindsight. Um, I shouldn't have stopped for the crosswalk, even though that's something that's normal to me, especially because it had just recently rained and it was slick. Um, and mm-hmm. we, the combination of seeing the monkey and then talking about it in our headset and then me kind of coming to a rapid stop at a crosswalk, which isn't a normal thing for Moroccans, um, that all kind of culminated into, um, getting Chantel rear-ended. Yeah. yeah. And then the other reality too is like people don't really handle different countries. I don't think people necessarily handle the same way we do in our westernized world where we exchange insurance information. We call the cops or the police, mm-hmm. we get a police report. Right. I think in many cases people say, ah, no big deal. Uh, it was my fault. My, my car is damaged, but it's because I slammed into the back of you and you guys look like you're fine and I can't speak your language anyhow. So I'll, I'm be, out of here. I'll be on my merry way. <laughs> yep. Yeah, or or is it even their fault? I mean, you know, are, w- would it be your fault for stopping? You know what I mean? So you, if, yeah. the, if the laws are different, yeah. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So exchange information, though. Did you actually have insurance for Morocco? We did, we yeah. Did, yeah. yeah. But it, it's all insurance that only covers us from an accident. Like, it doesn't cover the bike. There's no no compensation right. for right. Any, anywhere we've, get, we've ridden, the insurance we have will not cover the loss of our motorcycle. Mm-hmm. Chantil, did that shake you? Did, did, did it shake you or, and bother you for a long time? Not a long time. Just that, just for that, um, until I can get my wits back on me. I was a little bit, because um, he's like, where did he hit you? I said, I don't know where he hit me. In the back somewhere. <laughs> 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 but yeah, just a, just a few minutes and I was back to go again. again. It didn't scare me mm-hmm. for riding though. I, I love riding. Oh, that's it's, great. It's, it's something that we know. It's always, when you ride a motorbike, you know that in the back of your mind, like, the potential to have an accident or get hurt or break a bone or fly off your bike is always there. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you dwell just, on it, then you end up just, not riding. It finally took us, um, what, 44 countries later before bonk, we got, we got rear-ended and it was minor. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And if you dwell on it too much, it can actually affect your riding and, and you know, yep. it can make you unsafe, right? Exactly. Yeah. We've been lucky, I think in a lot of cases. But a lot of it too is we don't ride fast and I'm very preemptive. Like as soon as somebody, if I see the wheels moving, I'm already, my hand's already on the clutch and already getting ready to pump the brakes. So mm-hmm. um, I always ride very defensively. I think all those things kind of help. 
you mentioned that the the drive shaft problem or your your counter shaft problem. Yeah. Yeah. So that's why we didn't go south. Also, is because of the fact that we were worried that it would because uh, it was welded on at this point. Yeah. Wasn't sorry um, to interrupt you. Wasn't that? Isn't this an old repair? Didn't you have this happen a long time ago? Like when you first started out. We did. <laughs> yes, we did. So this happened originally in Canada. Um, it had to be welded in Canada and that got us through Iceland and Germany. And then, uh, I pulled the engine in Germany when we had the down season and then, uh, we had the main shaft repaired. Yeah. I thought um, that was it. That's mm-hmm. true. Yeah. So then this, this on my bike again, this is happening oh, at geez. about another 70,000 miles later. And, um, it reared its ugly head in Tunisia. The first time at the Sahara Desert. <laughs> yeah, as further south as we could get, we're crossing a dune, and then I hear the snap pop, and then uh, I can just feel the chain spinning, or not even I can just not the chain spinning, but I can just feel the front sprocket uh, just not even grabbing, grinding. Right. This is the shaft that the front sprocket of your motorcycle goes onto. The counter shaft, it's called. Yep. And the exactly. splines on that shaft that the splines on the gear slide onto. And when you wear out your gear and sprocket, you slide on the new sprocket onto this shaft. And it's generally a shaft that's very hard, uh, hardened steel, and doesn't wear out. So what happened? The first time, yeah, the first time was, uh, even though the nut was on at the proper torque, uh, there's a little cupped washer that helps push on it. So there was some, uh, because that cupped washer had flattened over, over, over the time. Um, there was still some wobble, even though the, the nut was torqued on, there was still some, uh, it was still loose. So I think that's the mm-hmm. issue with the first time. I think the second time, and we've done a lot of research on this. I think the issue is because we run our bikes loaded all the time. Uh, they're always, always carrying our luggage. So that's an extra, I'd say 40, uh, 45 kilograms, almost a hundred pounds of, uh, weight. And I think what happens is you, you do all the measurements, you make sure there's enough slack on the chain when you put it on the center stand. But then once you, once you lower it and all that weight drops, it tends to pull the, the chain very taut. And I think that was part of our issue. So since then, over the last 30,000, 40,000 miles, I've made sure that our chain tends to be on the looser side of mm-hmm. that measurement so that when we do, uh, when we're riding around, there's still a little bit of slack in that chain. It's not so tight. I've heard that could be an issue. I'm not sure. We're about to, tr- we're, we'll find out. Hopefully, we never have this issue again. But yep. We just replaced the um, counter shaft. Yeah. So in, just in, in Bulgaria, in, in Tunisia, it was worn so bad that it just spun. That's the first time it popped. And then uh, we're, we're pretty far south, just about to enter the Sahara Desert. And then um, uh, fortunately, I carry a spare front sprocket and a bolt and all that. So I was able to put the front sprocket on and there was enough teeth to hold. And actually, yeah, day after day, I got, I got my confidence again. And that actually held the new front sprocket held for a long time, I think four or five months, at least through two or three four more countries. And then it broke again, finally in Italy. So then. Once we were traveling through Italy, we decided to get it welded. For the first time. So we welded it the first time there. And then uh, that weld broke in Morocco. And this was all about the same time that we were thinking, all right, let's head south. But we knew if we headed south that there's at least four or five days of desert crossing. Yep. I'm not, you don't have to ride necessarily on the dunes like Dakar style, but the roads are definitely clobbered with sand. 
So you'll have to ride it over deep sand in order to, uh, in order to get through some of those locations. There's no, there's no way around it. So with the, with the front sprocket damaged and, uh, knowing I'd put stress on my bike riding through deep sand, we decided not to continue south. Just yeah. That has to be kind of frustrating because if you can't trust the bike the whole time you're riding right. it. I mean, you sort of, right. it always has to be in the back of your mind. Yeah, it is. It is absolutely, especially after right after it happens. Yeah, for sure. And, and you, when you say welded, you weld the sprocket to the shaft. Are you talking a tack weld or a full bead? A full bead around, uh, yeah, full bead. Like basically grind off the the nut, um, and then full bead around the entire top of the sprocket to the counter shaft. Ooh, wow! So this is this is a one off deal. You'd be very lucky to be able to cut that off with the torch and put another one on and weld it on. Yep, uh, you probably could, but it would, every time you do that, you're 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 making it much more difficult to align the sprocket. I mean, it's critical that it's aligned uh, aligned exactly even, yeah. even yeah. not wobbly. Mm, yeah, that's difficult, and that's just an expensive repair, as you said before. I remember you telling me you had to take the engine out and. You've got to get somebody to split the case and, and replace the shaft. Yep. The shaft itself will be expensive, let alone labor. Yep. yep. So we recently just did that again in Bulgaria. <clears throat> so it's, uh, we were down for about three weeks waiting for mechanic and parts, gaskets, seals, and all that to split the engine. And uh, as of now, I've got a new drive shaft in it, man, mm-hmm. new counter shaft. Now, this is on which bike? This is on my, my G650 uh, Sertau. Oh, and do you got you both are riding six fifties? We are, yes. Oh, okay, right. I don't have the Sertau. He has the the taller lifted one. Right, right. I see. So, and that's great for obviously for parts. I think we talked about that before. Yeah, yeah you mentioned about the bikes being loaded up. I'm I'm curious because you know some of the photos that you sent. They're, they're great for illustrating. We'll put these photos in the show notes. Nice photos, by the way, as as always. So you guys get some great shots. Uh, but these photos show you know what's what's on your bike. And I see that there's a fuel can, there's a, there's a water can and there's some bags. Can you sort of walk through what is on each bike? Maybe Chantel, you start with, with Chantel, you start with your bike and, and then uh, we'll go over to the other bike, but um, don't worry about brands so much. I'm curious as to what exactly you have on the bike, what, what modifications and what you've got on the bike. Well, mine, the water and the fuel, they actually aren't full with anything unless we're in a place that need it. So when we do more camping, we'll have the water um, fuller than, but, um, I don't know. And I have, uh, I don't know, my winter clothes, my, um, camping gear. I carry the kitchen, the kitchen utensils and stuff. And Travis carries the, um, the tent. So and, and uh, where are you carrying this? Like, like talk about the bags you've set up, uh, like you've yeah. got the, 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 the containers that you just said, I think they're Rotopax containers, but right. you've got those up against the, the, uh, crash bars. And then on the outside of that, you have what? Um, I have my winter clothes in one or my summer, vice versa. We'll switch them. Um, and then I have my, um, my cover for my motorcycle in the other with a lock locking system in that one. Right. And soft bags. Yeah. They're just soft bags on the side of those. And then, um, and then on the tail bag, I have all my camping gear, um, like the stove and the, my tent and my four inch mattress pad. Cause I am needing that extra nice softness when I can. <laughs> <laughs> Four inch, it, it like is it inflatable or collapsible pad. Is it, it, it is inflatable, but it um it does take up a lot a lot of room. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it's, it's insulated as well. So yeah, I mean even rolled up, it's twenty five inches long by 
six inches wide. Yeah, it's it's pretty big. Four inches. But that's 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 a lot. <laughs> It yeah, is a lot, yeah. but it is so, so nice to sleep in. Oh, it's bet. so comfortable. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, so yeah. what else? And then um, uh, in one of the other panniers on the side, I have um, things that I make these. Uh, it's called Monkey Fist. Um, it's to, kind of a thank you to someone that does something nice for us. And so I, I always have them made, but I have supplies to make more as we travel. And um, I always keep them handy so I can give them out to people that have you know, come talk to us or, or, you know, give us a, give us something up for our trip or just something, something nice that people have done for us. Wow. That's really um, nice. So this is handmade. So what is a monkey fist? It's a, it's a sailor's knot and they're used a lot of the times for ships. And you, when you bring a ship in, you will throw this um, monkey's fist. Um, it's a small ball with a small rope and then it turns into the big rope that brings the boat in that ties the boat up. Mm, I, di- I didn't know what they were used for, but it's a beautiful knot. It's a pattern knot that's uh, almost like in like squares on the outside, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. And so I make them for um, keychains or necklaces for people to give away. Wow. Nice. I have, and one of my whole, my pannier has some of that stuff in it. So <laughs> that's really neat. Um, what, what a great gift. That is a great thing to hand to somebody. Not, not only because you made it, but because it's unique as well. Right. Yeah, I mean, it, it cool. intrigues their interest and it makes them feel special. So, I mean, that's my kind of goal is to say, hey, you went out of your comfort zone and actually talked to me. So I'm going to, you know, give you something to say thank you to um, make you feel better about life, you know? <laughs> and anyone who knows anything about knots has to be impressed that a motorcyclist can tie a knot like that. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, I was sailors in the past. Right, right. right. You were yeah. sailors. I know. We've been through yeah. this before. You, you're not sailors. Again. It doesn't yeah, matter what you say. again. <laughs> yeah. So, okay. What else? Okay. So then I have, um, uh, we do have a small bag for our, in that same pannier is for our like little trinkets. So we get along the way, like, uh, I don't know, little keychain stuff. Cause we're one day we're going to decorate a tree when we're old and gray and sitting around and we'll have all these little trinkets that we've found. Yeah. So the rule is they can't be bigger than just like, they're only one or two inches big. So they're not very big. Like little mementos or souvenirs of, um, of things that we come across. So for instance, we were just in Moldova and uh, we were in a nice um, monastery. So we picked up a, or basically we're just going to make them Christmas tree decorations that we put in our tree and remember these different countries we travel to. Oh, that's neat. And are you carrying them all with you all the time? Well, until we get to a place we can ship them home. Oh, I so, see. So, um, yeah, there's some places that, uh, that have military bases and you're all, I mean, so we ship them there. Yeah. So it's like shipping in the United States. The last time we shipped them out was in Italy. So we've got about yeah. four four months of silver years. Yeah. Not a lot. Yeah. Then what else is on this bike? I know you're probably going to um say something, but I have Legos in my, uh, <laughs> in my bag for two reasons. You have a what? <laughs> Legos. Legos. I thought you said Legos, but I thought that can't, can't be Legos, but okay. I'm curious. Legos in your bag. <laughs> well, first of all, I have a Lego channel that I, um, I just do for all the nieces and nephews that I have. I have 43 nieces and nephews and then whoever else wants to join in. And I just do a picture of, um, our little Legos people in front of like where we're at. So they will be interested in seeing, um, the countries or the place that we've seen or been too. So yeah, yeah. Like, like, like imagine Legos at Pisa or the Coliseum or yeah, yeah, or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. Now, are you are you making a new Lego person for each place, or is this the same no, Lego person? It'll be it'll be um. Their nicknames are Charlie and Turtle, which are Chantal and Travis. They're the same Legos, but then they'll 
Sometimes they'll have a um, animal with them. Sometimes they'll have food with them. Sometimes they'll just be on motorcycles. So I carry, I carry some Legos with me so I can set up those scenes. So it'll be fun for them. Hmm. Um, yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, and then I keep also um, medical supplies on my bike, my bike also. Um, so we have, we do have a stitch kit and um, a tourniquet and, um, and also a tow system. Those are the things that I have on my panniers. And you've got um, hand warmers on your handlebars? I do, yes, definitely. <laughs> yeah, and you've got also covers on your handlebars. Um, we do have a we do have the covers and also the bark busters. Yeah, I forgot about all that um, stuff putting on there, huh? Um, yeah, just for for warmth and stuff. Let's see, what else do I have on my bike, Travis? I have the of lights, the Nolly lights, right? Yeah, and then I think is a stand oh. a standard for the riding we do, especially a portion, a large portion of that being off road is uh, crash bars. Yeah. Uh, the lighting isn't necessarily for, we don't do a whole lot of night riding, but I feel like the lighting the is definitely key to let people see you a little better. And I know you've had previous podcasts on that too. Like lighting is one of the biggest things you can have for visibility. So yeah. it's key for us. And that's why we add it to the bike. I do have a sheepskin cover on my um, motorcycle. It's called liability. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> I call it liability. What do you mean? We're, we're, we're about to go through the mud and uh, it, it was a pretty muddy trail. And then, was, and Travis had just fallen. Had I fallen? You had yeah, just fallen. Right. So, and I had come and rescued you. I fell in the mud because I was trying to pull you up. Yeah. So, she, so the next thing I know, she's, she's taken, taken her sheepskin off. off of her seat and rolling it up real gently and putting it in a protective bag. I was like, man, is this sheepskin going to be a liability? And then before you know it, it has a new name. <laughs> so a four-inch mattress, a sheepskin to sit on. I get it. Comfort's important. <laughs> there you go. There you go. <laughs> Anything else yeah. on yours? No, I think I have stock um, um, shocks. I have stock. Pretty much everything is pretty much stock on mine, huh? Yeah, sure. I do yeah. have a, a, a reverse blinker that actually... Um, when you push on the brakes, the brakes, it blinks. Oh, I see. So right. that's just for safety. Yeah. And you've got the usual things. You've got crash bars and, and you skid plate yeah. on it, things like yep. that. Yeah. Yep. Right. And you mentioned the bark busters. If you're riding off road, I think those are definitely key. Yeah. So Chantil, how much do you think your bike weighs? How, how much gear do you think you have? Well, either one, the weight of the bike loaded or the weight of your gear. What do you think it weighs? Um, the lower, the, my bike and me is probably a good, uh, five to 600 pounds. <laughs> okay. Well, just, just our gear, our gear itself is probably a hundred pounds, maybe a little less, but, but about a hundred pounds. And then myself. So, and then my bike is 400. Your gear might be bulky, but it's, so it's not super heavy. No, it's not crazy heavy, but it just looks, looks big. I mean, you could probably go smaller because I just, uh, my sleeping bag, I just took what we ever had. We didn't, we didn't go and buy the thin, really small sleeping bags or anything. We just took what we had. So it is a pretty bulky sleeping bag also. Mm-hmm. Um, um, yeah, maybe one day when it go, wears out, I'll buy a smaller one. Now, is there any of what you started out with loaded onto this bike that you found you didn't use or you didn't need that you got rid of? And, and are there other things that you found that you just wouldn't go without? I'm assuming that four inch foam <laughs> mattress is one of those things. <laughs> yes, I would not go without it. Um, I don't know. I think, I've pretty much kept the, what I've had, huh? Yeah. I don't think I've got rid of anything and I like what I have. So 
don't know. I'm pretty comfortable with what what we're traveling with. So it works. Okay. Yeah, it works for me. Okay, Travis, your yeah. bike. I think that's the important thing, Jim, is that a lot of people like to, hey, why are you carrying so much stuff? What do you have all this stuff for? But the reality is we're all traveling at our own level. I mean, if somebody came into motorcycling from being bicycle camper, well, then they're probably not going to have as much stuff. I mean, we came into motorcycling after after living on a boat for 11 years and all the creature comforts that we had on our sailboat. So mm-hmm. there's, a, there's a certain level of comfort that we like to have on the motorbikes as well. So it's going to take a little bit more weight for that. Okay. So here's another real quickie. Someone told me this um, one time is someone doesn't go into your home and your closet and say, whoa, you have a lot of stuff. Right. But when you were on a motorcycle, they say, whoa, you have a lot of stuff. <laughs> yeah, I guess I guess the thing is with when we travel on a bike is that all of our stuff is so obvious. It's all hanging out there. But, yeah. but, but what I'm thinking more of is is weight. And, you know, that, that's often what I think of with, yeah, with the bikes is weights, especially with the problems you guys have had with the, the, the counter shaft sprocket. You know, that obviously has to come into to your thought process, which it has yeah. into uh, your sag. And then you're mentioning you have stock shocks. And of course, stock shocks. I mean, I, 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 do you set up your sag on yours, Chantilly? Have you, have you done that? We have well, for the weight, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And, yeah. It, and it's I mean, it has, within the range of your stock shock. And it has limitations, of course, because yeah. it is stock. So uh, that's the advantage of upgrading is because then you'll have, you'll have a much better system that's going to have better rebound for the mm-hmm. weight. Mm-hmm. So I think it's, it's definitely tweaked at the top end of, of, like we're not exceeding the weight of our motorcycles with no. the, what they recommend, but it's definitely toward the top end of that. Right. So Travis, talk about your bike and what's on your bike. Well, it's very similar. I mean, uh, um, the roto packs, interesting enough are, um, we don't, the, the fuel one, we don't use that much at all because, uh, originally we kind of anticipated that we ride these bikes across Africa or Mongolia. But um, as we've been traveling Europe, you obviously don't need all that. Sometimes we'll have a fuel shortage and we'll top it off, <laughs> um, which is handy to have. But I think the water was definitely key. Having extra four liters or an extra gallon of water, especially as we venture into the deserts and places like that, it's been really nice to have for camping. Mm-hmm. And I've never um, used those Rotopax water cans. I have I have fuel cans. But yeah. is the water like, like doesn't have any taste, plastic taste or anything like that? No, but we have had to over the every year or so. We'll we'll go flush it out, right? We go. we I just wash it with vinegar and uh, vinegar water and just clean it out that way, right? Yeah. Um, you'll see green stuff growing down there. Like, Ooh, it's time to clean this out. Yep. Yeah, yeah, that's that's tough to get around with any containers. But I mean, it's yeah. it's exposed. I know it's sort of a. It looks translucent. Is it um? Is it translucent? No, it's a white, it's a white plastic. You can't really see the water level in there. Oh, I see. Well, that's good. That's even better. Yeah. But but the way the Rotopax is designed, it has a hole through the middle of the, it's sort of a flat yep. uh, container that's, I don't know, uh, like the bigger than a, bigger than a, a, a magazine, but, a, you know, four inches thick sort of thing. And it's got a hole in the middle for one of its mounting points, I guess, that, that they sell for it. But that makes it difficult to clean out as far as the water one, I'm sure. Well, what you do is you just take your, um, your rag and then you're going to, um, you put your vinegar and water in there and then you'll shake that rag around. And as you shake that, it rubs the whole wall of the, uh, right. of the inside. Good, yeah. yeah, yeah it, it, it comes clean. Smart. Good idea. So yeah, yeah. It, it takes a good shaking, but, um, with the, with a certain type of rag you put in there and then you just shake, 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 and it comes, it comes really clean. Right. And the water bladders would also have a similar problem, I'm sure, but maybe a little easier to clean. 
Yeah, anything you leave the water in for a while does, isn't it? I mean, you know, I've, yeah. I've had it with the, the, the pack one that you put on your back uh, before as well, that sort of thing. But so you've got the same setup. You've got one fuel and one water. Uh, Pretty much. I just have my own custom way. I kind of load stuff. I end up carrying most of the spare parts. Yep. Um, and because of the confidence level with the bikes, uh, I think we probably carry more spare parts than maybe other people. So, for instance, I, I've been actually lugging around a clutch with me. The at least not the um, at least the friction plates. I have a whole set in case we needed to replace the clutch because we're on our original clutches on both bikes, and they've got well over a hundred thousand miles on each of them. Mm-hmm. So it's probably a wear item that could easily happen, and uh, we wanted to have the clutch. So, worst case, we could at least drop it, pull the pull the the clutch casing, and then. Uh, put a new clutch in it and we get out of there. We haven't carried this clutch time. the whole time though. No, no, we haven't. <laughs> but we probably carried it the last year and a half. <laughs> but then we have uh, the typical things like uh, we always carry a spare fuel filter. Um, what else is a thing? Oh, I have bearings. I have pretty much at least two bearings for every bearing on the bike. Um, uh, all the wheel bearings and the push drive bearings and all that. So I can replace those. And break uh, um, master cylinders. Front sprocket because the issue we had that, that saved our bacon a couple times. I had a spare master brake cylinder for the rear because those tend to go out on the bikes. And we also have a spare water pump, water pump and fuel pump, water pump impeller with the with the seals. The, so the, this is some of the issues that you, you've had. You mentioned the, yeah. the countershaft sprocket, but you've had others which you just sort of alluded to there. Uh, can you can you talk about some of these issues? Well, it's weird because the fuel filter has happened twice on my bike, but never on Chantilles. No. So uh, in Norway, I had to replace the fuel filter, which was easy. I had the filter, but then uh, once we, I guess it was in Sweden, actually. Yeah. Yeah. So we were in Sweden and then um, we're on the side of the road getting eaten to alive oh, by midges. My midges. <laughs> but yeah. So we're trying, I have the filter and I pull it out and I know where it's at and easily accessible, but then. Once we start pulling apart, I realized, darn it, man, they put these one use only clamps on it. Only these, so you can't remove these clamps. They're one use only. They're, they're um, a crimp style clamp. Yeah, yeah. crimp style clamp. And like, there's, no way to, there's no way to salvage these. So um, I start pulling them. And I was like, darn it, this ain't going to work. And I considered the whole idea of just uh, of using a zip tie or something. And I said, nah, let's just. Let's just put it all back together and then roll down the road and see if we can find a hose clamp. Um, about 60 miles later, we end up rolling to a Volvo dealer and uh, roll our bikes up there. And of course, they're like, wait, what, what are you guys doing? He goes, and he goes, you know, Volvo doesn't make motorbikes, right? Like, yeah, yeah, we know. We just need, we just need a hose clamp. He was like, oh, okay. And we told him our story. And he's like, yeah, we've got a whole collection of them. Whatever you want, just take them. And if you need a place to work on it, you can use our garage. So super super nice of them. So then we got the hose clamps and put them on. And since then, now we have official like reusable hose clamps. Yes, we do. It is odd that it makes you wonder if it wasn't in there in advance that you're the only one replacing. You're both filling up the same spots, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, That is interesting. I mean, it is kind of weird that, that yours are, are, are plugging up, that your fuel filter is plugging up. Makes you wonder if there's some, wasn't something already in your tank. Yeah. But also he always fills up first and I always fill up second because mm-hmm. he always pulls in first and then uh, he fills his bike up and I fill mine after his. So maybe. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Good you question. Never know. He gets the bad stuff and I get the good stuff. Could be. 
You've had some other, well, you had, you had, you replaced a bearing. I mean, I think it was in your, your cush drive, correct? Yeah. 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 But the bearings actually on those bikes have been solid. Um, Short of those two, that's the only things we replaced. And and admittedly, the reason it happened is because I replaced the bearings preemptively and I ended up leaving out a washer that goes between those two bearings. And I thought, ah, the bearings are in the shaft. This washer's probably not that big a deal. Um, I kept the washer just in case. It was a big deal. It was a big deal. (laughs) And then uh, 4,000 miles down the road, I found out that this little washer it goes between these two bearings is quite a big deal. The, the engineers actually knew what they were doing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. The washer just adds a little bit of air between them. And then they, they apparently they, the two bearings uh, moved on the shaft and then they were, they were butted against each other and they, they couldn't breathe because there was no air between them yeah. and they just burned up within uh, short order because of that washer. Huh. That's Ever since putting that washer back on, it's uh, been solid. That's bizarre. Was my own, yeah, yeah. If I hadn't preemptively tried to replace the bearings and just left them, they'd probably all be fine. Right. Bearings have been really good on that bike, on both bikes. Yeah. But you, you had some, some pretty severe wiring issues. Well, that's uh, what I was going to say. Uh, yes, is Travis, yes, we've yes. talked about his bike and his breakdowns. Uh, but then <laughs> I've had a one breakdown that's pretty bad. Actually, it burnt, it burnt twice on my wire bundle. The first time we were in Bulgaria, just about ready to go to Bulgaria motor camp. And, um, all of a sudden my uh, smoke just started coming from the front end of my bike. And I was like, Travis, I'm on fire. (laughs) I uh, pulled over the side of the road and turned off my engine as fast as I possibly could. And we, um, and we took the whole bike apart right then and there, tried to get, we threw water on it first and tried to get everything taken care of there. But yeah, that was scary. So we, um, we called motor camp and they, they gave us a ride to motor camp that was three hours away. So that was so cool of them to come and get us. Yeah. Yeah, So what was the short? Well, the only thing we can think of is it shorted out on the frame. So, so we built it for two weeks. We uh, ordered the part and we built it and rebuilt it and stuff. And we put rubber around every place that would touch metal. So we're like, this is going to work. This is not, so it won't burn out on metal anymore. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, um, then this just last, um, that was a pretty extensive process. Yeah. The, the wire harness is about a thousand US dollars. And then, yeah. uh, as and you, you replaced know, that. Yeah. We, we replaced, replaced it at Moto Because we were, we were worried that it would cause more problems and something else was wrong. Mm-hmm. If you want to go see the old harness, it's still hanging up there at Moto Camp, Bulgaria. <laughs> <laughs> as a memento to our travels there. Yeah. Yeah. And so then we came uh, after Morocco, we were heading back toward Italy and um, down to Greece. And, in just before we got to the border of Italy, um, it just died. I didn't see the smoke this time, but it just, um, quit working. And I go, Travis, my bike's done. It, might, it won't work anymore. So we pulled over and we pulled it apart and it, had, um, you could see, smell it. Yeah. You could smell it when you started taking it apart. The electrical yeah. smell. Yep. Yep. Wiring. And so the wire had, um, tapped again, but it was a different wire, a different location. But, um, I don't, we don't know why it did it because we had protected them so much. We would, we were so methodical. We were on that first time we did it. We took inner tubes and we wrapped them around everything that would get close to metal. Mm-hmm. So, but I guess we missed one spot and it fried it again. But not as bad. This wasn't as, as difficult. We actually, uh, um, a gentleman came by and he was like, oh, my motorcyclist, what's going on? I need help. And we're like, oh, I think we got it. But then as we started welding into it, we realized we need a place to bring it. And then 
we pushed it just down the road to his house. Yep. And then he knew a friend of a friend. And next thing you know, they had a guy there with a soldering iron and we reattached everything together and insulated it. And by that evening, it was the bike was started again. And then the next morning, we just spent the time to re-insulate everything and make sure it was in good condition and put the bike back together. And we were down the road 24 hours later again. So this time you didn't have to replace the harness. No. No, we just, just rebuilt a section of it. We ended, we found out where it is shorted at, and then rebuilt the, re put a new wire in there, make sure it was all soldered really nicely. Yeah, and that's the cool thing about traveling is you come across people that are willing to help you, and 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 then you make friendships with them, and and so all these hard times that you have, they're overcome by certain people that are put in your path to help mm. you out. All, at the time, they suck, but. In the end, you look back on the memories and you're like, oh, that was actually not as bad as I imagined. <laughs> mm. When you say they suck, you're talking about the breakdowns, not the people who yes. help you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. exactly. Breakdowns, yeah. totally. No, people Thanks. are lifesavers Again, sometimes. They're going toward my plan and I'm not really happy about that. <laughs> 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 Holding you up when you, you should be going somewhere else. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, yeah. Well, why do you think that people do help you? Well, why, why is it that people reach out to a traveler? Well, I think they, they help. Hopeless, I guess. No. Stray dog. (laughs) (laughs) We're all dirty on the side of the road. (laughs) I don't know. I think it's it's, uh, probably a nature of a human being is to reach out and help as much as you can because you feel so much better about yourself when you help somebody. And and I think we all have it built inside of ourselves to help. And when we see someone that's out of place and, and not looking like us, and um, we think those guys really need some assistance and help. And I think it doesn't always come like, I mean, sometimes the help is, uh, in most cases, people, like you said, yeah. But but there's been other times where we had to really like work hard to try to get somebody to do something. So Iceland, for instance, getting him to weld the sprocket was nearly impossible. He was so grumpy. The guy didn't like tourists. But we did bring him cookies, which helped out. Yeah, we tried to. So nice. That was funny. (laughs) Hang on, tell that story. He he didn't like tourists. Set set that up. What, What exactly happened? We're going to take just a very quick break. i got two things I want to tell you about. When we come back, though, a lot more fun. Stay with us. Well, there's no doubt as a motorcyclist, you understand the need to deal with someone who specializes. If you're going to get your bike repaired, you don't take it to a car dealer. You take it to a motorcycle dealer. And if you're going to deal with someone for camping gear, go to a motorcycle camping store. And guess what? There is only one. It's called Moto Camp Nerd. It is the motorcycle camping store owned by Ben and Mary Williams. It's their creation. And what they do is they stock everything to do with motorcycle camping. Everything's chosen for packing size. Durability is king. They look at it from a motorcyclist perspective. They're up with the latest brands, the brand names like Nemo, Big Agnes, Cedar Summit, and they're a real store, which means you can actually walk in. Of course, you can shop on their website as people do every day, but you can walk into their store and buy something right from their store. Their website is motocampnerd.com. Anytime you're dealing with them, throw in there that you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. Moto Camp Nerd, the motorcycle camping store. If you're not riding on a set of IMS products foot pegs right now, it's probably only because you don't uh, you don't realize the difference that it will make. And a lot of what I say when I'm talking about IMS products here at the foot pegs is that is from my experience, my riding experience. The difference 
I found was unbelievable. I mean, it was really shocking. If you'd told me before I rode on IMS pegs that they would make the difference that they do for your control of your motorcycle, I would have, well, I think I would have just sloughed you off or, or, or chuckled about it. But feeling is believing. Yeah, the pegs look great. Yes, they definitely add an edgy look to your bike. Of course, when you see a bike with IMS pegs on it, you know they're serious riders. But what they do for your riding, incredible. IMSproducts.com is the website. Anytime you're dealing with them, throw in there that you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. IMSproducts.com. Hang on, tell that story. He, he didn't like tourists. Set, set that up. What, what exactly happened? Yeah, so like we broke, we, we actually broke down in northern Iceland. Yeah. Um, and uh, we needed basically Chantil, one of the things she carries is the tow rope and some uh, webbing. So we, she towed me like 21 kilometers back to uh, a place that was the only welder. Yeah, like we're talking enough. for hundreds of miles because the north of Iceland is pretty remote. Yeah. It's not on the normal track. Um, and the closest welder we could find was what, 21 kilometers away or something. Yeah. So we, we roll it in there and he looks at it and he's like, no, no, I'm not touching this. And you could tell he just, he's kind of a grumpy old dude and he's just not real excited to have. And it's the closing of the day language. It's the end of the day. Yes. And he's mm-hmm. like, uh, come back tomorrow and maybe I'll look at it. And, and when we, when we showed him again, like he didn't even bother looking at it that night. No, we were just hoping that the next morning his heart would be softened and, yeah. cookies helped i think yeah we we did tell him that we had cut it off we had uh, we'd let he would let us use our grind his grinder and we'd cut it off and he would just weld it mm, but the thing is about iceland is iceland hasn't had very many tourism and then just just recently last what eight nine years it's been booming with tourists yeah, yeah. and i think it was wearing on on some of the people that the because when he when we first came in he's like tourists oh you always just want it the immediate the you moment. Want, you want it then and now. It's got to be now. Everything's now. <laughs> oh, he's, he's pretty really crusty. Yeah, oh, he, he was. was crusty, he was pretty yeah. upset. So that next morning well, we, we brought him cookies. Options. Yeah. So, and then he then he he basically gave us all the tools. He's like, take this off. Do this. Do that. And then and we're just like, all right. And then slowly, slowly, he realized we knew what we were doing with the bikes and put it on the side. But I'm not a welder, so yeah. Um, we just basically needed him to do the <laughs> welding. Yeah. He did it and took care of it for us. And yes, he did get a monkey's fist for it. And was he pleased so, with that? I mean, did, did you oh, leave? He definitely was. Yeah. And you left, make it, you made a friend by the time you were done. We did. We did. Yes. Grumpy old friend, but yeah, friend. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm curious about this welding thing when he's welding the shaft. Did you happen to pay attention to where he put the ground? I think he attached it to our skid plate. Wow. It's it's interesting, you know, with the welding thing when you when you do stuff like that. I mean, you can create a lot of problems by doing that. I mean, yeah. you, you know, yeah. your current is flowing through everything from your skid plate to your frame to your engine to your transmission, or through the gears from one gear to another. I mean, to get to that shaft, it's it's you know, it's on bearings, so it goes through the bearings as well as the mm-hmm. gears. It's it's quite an interesting thing to do to weld something, especially something like that on a motorcycle. Good point. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. Never thought about that. Mm. So you you also mentioned a rear master cylinder. You you mentioned that on, on both bikes the foot brake. Yeah, the yeah, foot brake. Yep. Foot brake. They're yep. they're bad for the master cylinders, are they? 
I don't know if they're bad necessarily, but the seals, I think, I think those, that's a, that's a normal wear item. I mean, yeah. almost every motorcycle has a seal replacement kit for uh, replacing those because they just tend to leak after a while. So right. Okay. I thought we, you meant it was a model thing. Yeah. We, so we carry a seal replacement kit. And I think at the time we actually, for some reason I, I knew, I knew the little, um, the, the plastic, the little, uh, I guess the rubber, the rubber, what do they call it thing? The dust cap. The cap was uh, was torn. And I was like, ah, it's only mm. a matter of time before it, it gets mm. corroded. So we ended up buying one and just riding with the old one. And then I was like, well, if it comes to the point where I need to replace it, then I'll just have the spare part with me. Yeah. Mm, so, I see. Yeah. yeah. As soon as the so dust boot. Go ahead. Yeah, exactly. You're Like you said, as soon as the dust boot's gone, it gets contaminated pretty easily. Yeah. Yeah. And with brakes, of course, you have to be careful because you get water into there. It gets into the, the brake fluid itself and can corrode the whole yeah. system. Yeah. Those, my rear brakes had finally given up uh, um, in Morocco. The great thing about Morocco, as long as you have the parts, there's somebody that can fix it. Scooters <laughs> all over the place. And when I showed him what was going on, he says, yeah, but I, mean, I don't have the part. And then yeah, like, I gave him my little magic pannier and I was like, ding, <laughs> I've got this. I've got it. And he's like, all right, sweet. And then, <laughs> Five minutes later, we're down the road with the brakes. And these people are really skilled mechanics then. Yeah, they are definitely skilled. Environmentally is a different thing. Like all the brake fluid was dumping right onto, uh, on on the ground, right outside his garage. (laughs) He didn't care. (laughs) It's different. That's the way I know. Well, it's interesting how things have changed. Because I I remember as a kid pouring oil on our our driveway because our driveway was dirt to keep the dust down. Yeah. But, and they did yeah. it on the road too. I can remember them going yeah. down the road and, 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 and I think I'm, I'm guessing, but I, I think it was, um, it was just old oil that was, that was being used to spray down the road to get the, to keep the dust down. Yeah. Right. Right. We, we bled our brakes at another country. I don't quite remember. Maybe it was remote Italy. Same thing. I, I bled the brakes and I brought it to the garage and I was like, Hey, uh, I just have this reserve brake fluid. <laughs> and, then he, and then he walks around the backside and just dumps it in the forest behind his, garage and I was like oh okay I didn't tend I could have oh. done that I guess wow. <laughs> yeah that's that's disappointing yeah. so after after all these repairs and I think that like obviously the the um the wire loom was huge I mean you're lucky you guys could yeah. could manage that because that's a yeah. huge job for somebody to do really that's that's quite complicated I mean it may sound simple but it's all routed through the frame in different spots and you got to plug it in everywhere and you that's a big big job not to mention you got to take everything apart but then the, yep. the, the counter shaft sprocket as well. These are some pretty big repairs. Yep. Do, do you do you look at it now as if, um, or maybe even before? How do you how do you feel basically about bike preparation? Do you, do you think that prepping the bike makes a difference? It doesn't make a difference. Do you think it's something you need to do? I mean, what do you mean prepping it? Like. Like before you go, we spend so much time talking about, you know, what should we put on our bike? What modifications do we need to do? What spare parts should we carry? Those sorts of things. How important is that, do you think, in, in your experience now? Depends on your level of uh, independence, I think. And what country you're going there's, to. There's people traveling around doing the same thing we are doing. They don't have any mechanical skills per se, yeah. but they, uh, they somehow manage as well. I guess it depends on your independence. I'm. I'm very particular about my bike and I feel like I know more about my bike than most of the mechanics I take it to, at least my specific model. Mm-hmm. Um, so if I can do it myself, I would rather do that. 
even if it means sometimes you don't put it back together quite right. <laughs> but in general, right? In, in general, most of the time, like I'm able to do all the basic stuff to my, my motorcycle. I can replace a chain and sprocket and brakes and oil changes and spark plugs and all those kind of standard things. Um, the one thing I regret not knowing ahead of time was um, valve maintenance, valve, replacing yes. valve chims and doing valve. Uh, I wish I was more comfortable at doing that. And I wish I had a shim kit with me so I could replace the shims whenever we needed to and not have to rely on, on a dealership to do that. Mm, because it's expensive, you mean? It's yeah. expensive. And then although our bikes are only, I mean, they stopped making them in 2015. Uh, that's seven, eight years is, uh, that's a long time in the motorcycle community. So BMW dealerships don't carry those shims anymore. We've actually had dealerships say we can't do the maintenance on this bike. We don't, what? we don't have the, we don't have the parts. Uh, we'd have to order the parts and you would have to pay for the tools necessary for us to do that. Cause they don't carry the tool to do it anymore. Wow. That, that yeah. does not seem like an old bike. Well, in Serbia, we got the old bike discount for bringing it in to get. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> old bike discount. That's an interesting old one. Bike discount. It's rare. It's rare that you go into a BMW dealership and see a single cylinder uh, GS. I mean, they literally, because the European emissions they stopped making them in 2015. Right. I mean, even other bikes, even their big single cylinders like the KLR. I mean, the Kawasaki has just accepted that that bike will not sell in Europe. Uh, it can't meet the, uh, the emission standards for single cylinder bikes. So you just don't see, you know, it's it's uh, it's rare that you um, you roll into a BMW dealership and see a Rotax engine on in mm. in even their used showroom. However, it's a BMW, so parts are at least fairly accessible. So we recently had um, the shaft repaired and. Um, uh, the nice thing is the mechanic was like, well, it's, it's good that it's a BMW. I only had to wait two weeks for the parts to come. <laughs> I've got, I've got uh, Japanese bikes where I have to wait a month or more, six weeks for parts to come. Wow. Is that a COVID thing? Like, like since then? No, nah, I mean, that's it, a good question, but he just said he's even today. Um, this was just like two, two weeks ago. He mentioned that he's got bikes just waiting for parts from Japan. Yeah, but I understand there's still backups. COVID seems to yeah. have messed up a lot of supply lines or whatever the excuse is. Who knows what it is? But right. there are problems still getting parts for all kinds of things, automobiles and, and motorcycles, all kinds of things, actually. So saying that, the BMWs have actually been pretty good bikes. I mean, people like to talk about the breakdowns, but the the reality is um, you've got a lot of incredible memories and in just a couple of breakdowns. So the thousands and Tens of thousands of photos and memories are definitely are definitely uh, way more on us than the, the breakdowns that we've had. No, that's a really good point. Having the perspective of understanding what you've done with them. You said you've got over a hundred thousand miles on these bikes. Yep, yep. on both of them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's interesting about uh, about perspective. And it just made me think of, of something Chantil said a minute ago. You were talking about how people sort of inherently have it in built into them to want to help people. And, and I, and I, I wanted to mention when you said that, that's a really nice point of view and I believe it. I, I think you're right. I agree with you, but it's a really, it's a good thing to remember about people because we can easily get jaded nowadays. We can. Yeah. With, with the bike repairs. So the reason I was asking about that is because the bike repairs that you've had to do really are nothing you've, you've um, they're nothing you planned for. 
they're they're nothing that you could have planned for at all, and they're no. nothing you could have so you could have taken parts for with you. I mean, all of that sort of thing. We're, I mean, you're riding modern bikes in Europe right now, so you would think that for the most part of the places that you've been, that you're going to be able to get this thing fixed. You're going to be able to find things. Maybe you wait a while, but you're going to be able to find things. Yeah, yeah. that's true. I think in general, it's just a matter of waiting sometimes for parts. Mm-hmm. But um, in general, I mean, I would. I would say, though, a lot of people are like, ah, you just take it to the dealership and get it done. I mean, we found out mm-hmm. that the BMW dealerships are very different wherever you're at. We found some that are really good and we found some that are really, really bad. Really bad. Yeah, mm-hmm. terribly bad. Like we're talking about missing parts off the bike when we receive it. We're like, what? why is there missing bolts here? And then, yeah, so. Mm. Well, that, and that's that's due to that can be due to a mechanic can be overall, but that many times I think that's due to a, a mechanic themselves. Cool. You know whether he or she has that that work ethic because you mentioned about the bearing thing where you left the washer out, and that and I related yeah. immediately to what you're saying about wanting to do your own repairs because when that bearing went, you knew you had left that washer out, and you kept the washer yeah. as you said. You were smart enough to do that and understand that there could be a reason that you'll, you'll want to keep it. That's important. Whereas if somebody else does it, I mean, you're sort of stuck and then you take it to a dealer and somebody else has to figure it out. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, absolutely. And even then when asked, we had to get those shafts um, put on to, I decided to just take it to a place with a shaft puller and installer and have them put the shafts on. And even then they left out the washer and I said, whoa, whoa, whoa what about this washer? And he's, he's like, like, ah, darn it. So he pulled it off and put the washer back mm-hmm. in and then re reset the, the bearing. Mm-hmm. Mm, wow. But yeah. yeah, I think, I think to us, I guess the point is, should you know, do you have to know everything about your bike to go on the same adventure that we're doing? I don't think so, but if you want to be a little more independent, more resilient to it and have a little bit more knowledge, I think it's not a bad idea to know your bikes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Is, is the independence in you doing the work and saving the money of going to the dealer or is it in getting you out of somewhere, out of a situation? I think both, but then part of it is just um, nobody knows. Nobody's going to care about your motorcycle more than you, especially mm-hmm. someone like us who relies on it to travel so much, continue to live the lifestyle we live. Mm-hmm. So uh, nobody, no, I don't care probably who you are. No mechanic is going to have that same level of, of love and attention to fixing somebody else's bike. Yeah. No, that's a really so, good point. Yeah. So if you can do it, you have a better chance of, of not having problems down the road from poor workmanship, lack of attention to detail, that yeah, sort of thing. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I know you guys did a lot of travel before. You mentioned you lived on a boat for many years. I, I know that was, that was, uh, I think that was kind of in one spot and you correct me if I'm wrong, but, and you, I know through working for the military, you've, you've been around different places, but what have you learned by, from motorcycle travel? I want to keep doing it. it's become addictive it is addictive i love it i love it that's all i can say what is it about the motorcycle as the as the means because i know you're kind of a sailor (laughs) there's so many times i'm just out on the bike and i just smile and just get so excited just being out there and just riding it Mm. yeah and just going like through the all the fields we went through the other day and just being out there is such a cool feeling like I have to pinch myself. I'm on this uh, motorcycle. I'm, I'm actually being like, it's kind of dangerous a little bit. And you know, that kind of exhilaration or whatever, but it's safe enough that you feel that it's, it's doable to do. 
Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know what the feeling is. It's such a cool feeling to ride. In the elements, you're around people. Like there's a there's a certain personality or personable approach when you're on a motorbike. People wave to you, or yeah. you wave back, or you smile. Gentle's really good about this. She'll wave to everybody, and uh, <laughs> they give a big smile and wave back. And we're riding past other motorcyclists, even today, riding past beautiful sunflower fields, and yeah, and uh, just being out there in the elements. It's uh, quite. There's something magical about riding a motorbike. It is, yep. And like you said, like more people recognize and notice you when you're on a motorcycle. You're not closed in with this car that has four sides to it, and you can't see that there's actually a person inside the car. And when it's on a motorcycle, you know that's that's a person. And you get so many more waves, and you get some more smiles at you. It's a cool feeling. Oh, plus you can get around stuff a lot easier. <laughs> the other day, we how long was that border? We had a passing because we're on a motorbike and it was, they're like, get ahead, go ahead, go, go. Approaching a hundred degrees out. Yeah. Um, everybody's just like, just go ahead, just go ahead. And there's a little bit of guilt, like, oh man, we're here with everybody else. But at the same time, we're not in an air conditioned car or we don't have any shade. So, uh, we, the motorbikes got us past 60 people (laughs) rolled right up to the front. And uh, if you did that in a car, people have an issue with cutting line. But yeah. in a motorbike, it's just kind of accepted that, oh, yeah, let those guys go ahead because they're hot. Even the the border agent was, like, super nice. There was another female border agent. And uh, <laughs> once Chantel took her helmet off, she saw she was a woman. And she's like, like you could tell she was kind of a supervisor. But she ended up going to him and was like, hey, hurry up with these, uh, these, passports. these passports. These guys are hot. Let's, <laughs> let's get this thing moving. Oh, and then Gentle nice. even gave the border agent like a big hug when she gave, brought her passport back and said, yeah, welcome to the country. <laughs> wow. That's really, it, you know, hearing the enthusiasm in Gentle's voice when I asked that question about the motorcycle, that really says something after all this time and all the miles you guys have been through. And, and even, you know, throwing the breakdowns and throwing the, the sitting on the side of the road in the tent when, the, when a thunderstorm comes. But hearing that enthusiasm after all this time, after all these miles, that's, yeah. it's, it sounds intense. I'd say those breakdowns and sitting in thunderstorms, I mean, those are memorable moments because you're not enjoyable at the time, but how much, if you, if you had broke that down and you compared percentage wise, all, all the travel and everything, it'd probably be less than 2% of the experience, you know? Mm. So it's funny how it gets talked about so much, isn't it? It's such a small part of the experience and, and we all yeah. do this with everything. It's a small part of the experience and, and it's like, the, it's the thing that takes up 80% of the conversation. Yeah, yeah. So true. Yeah. People always want to know how the bike's holding up. How are they doing? How many, mm-hmm. how many breaks down have you had? Yeah. So it, it's been on our mind because uh, my bike just recently went over 100,000 miles. And I was about to write a blog post about that for our website. And uh, it's because people are interested and want to know, hey, how the bike hold up after all this time? Mm-hmm. We've been looking back at all of the issues we've had. Mm-hmm. Do you think that the brand of motorcycle that you're riding, being the BMW, do you think, it, and not, and I'm not saying it's it's better or worse than any other weather, but any other, but do you think because of that brand, there's been any advantages or disadvantages? Um, only because the parts are expensive, but um, I don't know. Well, in Europe, the don't, it's not so bad. I think it's a great bike for Europe. I think it's a great bike for places that have a large dealership that can support you. Yeah, well, that's what I'm wondering. I mean, I'm not so much as, is BMW a great brand? I mean, people have their right. opinion one way or another, but yeah, I'm thinking for you, has that brand done anything because it's that brand? Well, I think it's important to realize, like somebody asked, what's the perfect bike? And my answer is always the bike you have. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, just 
go, you can, you can go and do all these epic adventures and go do all these things that we're doing on any, any bike. Yeah. So a lot of people want to like, they wait for that perfect bike or they wait to get it outfitted with everything they have. But you know, quite honestly, the, the best bike is probably dependent on what region you're at. The BMW wasn't the best bike to have in Morocco. Having a little Chinese scooter, little knockoff kind of bike would be perfect. Same with Southeast Asia, having a little 125 or something that you can toot around and everybody works on and it's available all over the place. Traveling to India, you'd probably want a, a Himalayan or something, something that's accessible for all the garages. Mm-hmm. This is not feasible to trade bikes every region you go to. But I think that's becoming more popular. I think people are realizing as global global travel is getting a little more difficult. I wonder if uh, if they try to do a long way round now, uh, how much more difficult that would be. In what sense? In the sense of like there's a there's currently a war with Russia and trying to get visas for uh, traveling through um, yeah, of COVID. Russia yeah. and getting to uh, Mongolia and places like that. You know, a lot of these, a lot of what people have resorted to is just going and flying to these places and just renting bikes. Mm. It's not as easy to get from place to place anymore. I mean, that, that route that they took long way down, it's not accessible anymore. You can't, you can't ride through Sudan. I mean, even, even during that, even, even the Americans had issues riding through uh, Libya. Mm. You mentioned just going back to the the bike thing. You mentioned about dealerships, and I think you, you might have said something about that a couple of times. Now, that would have been one advantage is that the BMW's extensive dealerships that they have in the areas that you've been traveling in. I mean, you've had no trouble finding that, with the exception of Morocco. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. It's only right. there's a BMW dealership, I think, in the main town in Marrakesh. I think that's the only one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But um, otherwise, you know, it, it hasn't really done much. And and the thing is, we're like, as far as being a BMW, it's just your choice. And you're saying that you tell people, you know, take the bike that you that you that you have. I'm not sure. As, I'm not sure what you have in, in my mind would be necessarily because I mean, if you've got an old bike, like I don't know, you've got some old bikes difficult to get parts for, and, and it's very unreliable. That may not be the bike unless you are quite happy with it breaking down and and, and waiting and waiting. Yeah, you know, I mean, if if you're comfortable with that, then then that's great. But it's inter- interesting the point you made though about the different bikes in the different areas, and I'm wondering if part of the reason that some people are doing that, going from place to place and renting motorcycles, it's just because it's easier now. N- not even so much that it's hard to get. Get your bike in there, but it's easier to find bike rentals. Yeah, right. Yeah. Or even to purchase your own bike in the same country, you know? Yeah. 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 That's a good point. But there certainly is advantages. I mean, as you, you, you mentioned, uh, Travis, you said, you know, you were, you were just talking about the different bikes you'd need for different areas. You know, if you're in, in India, for instance, you said India with the Royal Enfield, if you're riding Royal Enfield in, in India, obviously you're completely covered. Parts are absolutely everywhere. And it does make sense that, I mean, if you were, you were going to travel around, you know, to, to swap bikes from place to place. Have you guys given any thought to that? Have you, have you thought about possibly setting your bike aside, storing them, getting rid of them and, and getting different bikes? We have, yeah. So uh, we won't reveal the plan, but uh, we do currently have kind of a plan to uh, continue our travels and it'll be on, it'll be on a different branded motorcycle. Mm. Now, is this through a sponsorship thing? Is that why you're keeping it quiet or, or is this just... Oh, no, no. no. We're, yeah, not a sponsorship. More of just like uh, trying to finish our current chapter with our YouTube channel and our writing and everything before we step into the next next uh, next 
chapter, I guess. Oh, I see. So something's going to change. Now, is it just a bike that is going to be the change or will there be more? It'll be a bike and confidence. (laughs) And confidence? (laughs) Confidence. A different confidence. confidence. We're going to finally leave Europe, I think, after this year. Mm, Oh, I see. That's going to be difficult. And (laughs) at this point, you're not going to say where you're going? No, not at this we'll point. Yeah. Yeah. It'll be it'll be perfect uh, for next time we talk. <laughs> ah, right, right. Okay, well, we'll have to do that. That means we'll there will be a next time, out. right? How long is this thing going to go on for for you guys? Um, until I get grandbabies. <laughs> I think you said that before, actually. So, what's the hold up there? Not that uh, you want to well, rush it. They're not married yet, so. <laughs> mm. Oh, I see. How far well yeah. off do you think that is? Uh, They're not dating anywhere anytime soon. So, I mean. That's the thing about your children. They can surprise you. So. Mm-hmm. Well, they definitely. Can. And I'm thinking of not dating. I mean, this is all information that you have. I, I don't know how much information you will get from your, your kids or anyone gets right, from their kids. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. You could have a surprise. So, in other words, so if you find out like next year you have a grandchild, is that it? That That's going to pull the plug? No, it just slows down the plug. <laughs> how do you it'll, mean? It'll just add, <laughs> it'll add in that factor, right? Yes, yes. You'll fly home like more the, often. Yes. Oh, I see. And then maybe we'll stay longer when we go home or, you know. Yeah. yeah. And they, they, maybe the grandkids need to grow up a little bit more and then I can start playing with them and, you know. Oh, okay. So you, you need grandkids of a certain age. This kind of sounds like one of those smoking things. So, you know, like <laughs> I'm going to quit smoking when this happens. No, no, not just that. This other thing has to happen. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I, I, I will appreciate them when they're babies because I love them when they're babies. So um, I'll start going home. I'll start slowing, weaning myself off of travel. That makes sense. <laughs> right. And then what will retirement look for <laughs> retirement from travel? What will retirement from your vacation look like? Well, I think we'll still travel because then we can take the grandkids with us. <laughs> <laughs> right. Sailboat. I see. Okay. So a big sailboat, maybe with a couple of motorcycles, probably not BMWs, maybe this mystery motorcycle on the deck. Exactly. Yeah, like trail, haunted trail 125 or something. <laughs> well, that would be perfect, wouldn't it? I mean, because you don't even need a davit to lift that off. You can just yeah. haul it off yourself. Exactly, exactly. I yeah. guess we'll have to find out um, next time we talk uh, where, where you guys have decided to go and what you're riding. Yeah, Absolutely. definitely, definitely. Chantil, Travis, thank you so much. I, I really enjoyed that. Thank you. Yeah. Always a pleasure. Speaking with Chantil and Travis Gill, stopped over in Hungary for our interview. Their website is viajarmoto.com. I'm not saying that the way it's supposed to be said. I'm saying it so you can understand the spelling of it. Viajarmoto.com. Hey, they've given us some great photos that we put in our show notes on our website, adventureriderradio.com. Also, you'll find their YouTube channel and their social under the same name, Viajarmoto. Of course, we have those links, as always, in the show notes for this episode on our website. Hey, I just want to remind you that this episode has been brought to you by Green Chili Adventure Gear, greenchiliadv.com, Motobreeze Chain Oiler at motobreeze.com, and Best Rest Products at cyclepump.com. And we'd really appreciate it anytime you're dealing with these companies, anytime, email or otherwise, let them know you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. 
all that about wraps up another episode of Adventure Rider Radio, and we sure hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as we did making it. Special thanks to our producer, Elizabeth Martin, and of course to you. Thank you very much for listening to the show. Hey, if you haven't done it already, we would love to get a five-star review from you. Obviously, five stars what I'm after, but I mean, that's up to you, of course. Um, but anywhere you're finding your podcast, go there and give us a rating because that helps other people find the show. As well, uh, another way you can help is to share the show on social media. That always helps other people find the show. And the other thing I would like to ask is that the show is built on a model of advertising and listener support, which means that we would like you to consider supporting the show. All you have to do is drop by our, our website, adventureriderradio.com. Click on support. Anything $10 or more gets you an Adventure Rider Radio sticker, which are very cool stickers. I, I mean, you know, I'm biased, but I think they're very cool stickers. They're also like 3M stickers. They're, they're very top quality. They cost us a fair bit of money to print. But um, again, you want quality, right? <laughs> anyway, so uh, anything $50 or more gets you a shout out on our other show that we do called Raw. That comes out once a month, the Raw show. The 21st of every month, we have a new episode of Raw come out. So you need to find that, that feed separate where you get your podcast or all this information is at the website, adventureriderradio.com. And if you have a story, we'd love to hear about it. So again, drop by the website, click on the contact and pitch us a story. Or there's a link up there that says pitch us. I think pitch us a story or something like that. Anyway, fill that out. We'd love to hear from you. Well, now it's time to get it there and ride your bike if you can. My name is Jim Martin. Thank you very much for listening. And I will talk to you next week. This is Spencer Conway from African Motorcycle Diaries, and you are listening to Adventure Rider Radio. (laughs) 